The Athletic. It's Monday morning, the 15th of August, 2022, and it's 30 years ago to the day that the Premier League kicked off. They were different times back there with a full 22 teams, just 13 foreign players, and an opening day defeat by a clueless Manchester United. Different times. To mark this anniversary anyway, we're going to take a special down memory lane reminisce now with the man who is the Premier League's all-time top goalscorer and so much more, Alan Shearer. Thirty years of the Premier League, Alan, and an amazing time for you. You set records, perhaps never to be broken. You creosoted a fence. Same. <laughs> not true, but yeah. It, is it not? <laughs> no, I never. That was my father-in-law. I was too hungover to creosote any fence. I see. <laughs> I see. You did get into the Hall of Fame. That was you, wasn't it? The first yeah. name in there. Yeah. Yes, that was there. Fortunately for me, that was definitely me. Yeah. Excellent. And you scored a lot of goals. Do you remember opening day of the Premier League back in 1992? I remember it as if it was yesterday. Um, I was Britain's most expensive player, having just moved to Blackburn. Um, I didn't feel any pressure. I loved the day. I loved whatever came with it. Um, And where have 30 years gone? The 30th anniversary, it's just incredible how quick it's gone. It really is unbelievable. Well, plenty of things are still more or less the same, some of them, unfortunately, in that intervening three decades. But the Premier League, the way top-level football performs in this country yeah. and is run in this country, has changed enormously. Just looking back to that opening day, you started off with a, a brace for your new club, Blackburn at Palace, in a, in a yeah. 3-3 draw. I did, against the uh, against the current England manager, um, Mr Southgate, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember it well, two long-range efforts from, from me, and that was me off and running. How can he do it again? Oh, he can! Shearer! Two in the space of 15 minutes, put a right out of the top draw, and he kisses the shirt, and it may well have been a shirt of a different colour. But the other clubs felt that 3.4 million was too much to pay, and that's what they've missed. I sort of felt I felt part of it then, and it's never changed and never will change for a goal scorer to get off the mark, like Haaland did um, for Man City in his first league game. For me to do exactly the same um, as a goal scorer, then it, it didn't often make the world feel better, and that that feeling of of scoring a goal. And I was lucky enough to speak to Erwin Haaland last mm. week. He, he describes it very much like I would in terms of that feeling, that sense. There is nothing like it in the world. And once you get one, you want two. Once you get two, you want three. Mm. In that piece that you did, which was I, I thought was a huge entertaining with Erling Haaland, also because he's, he's not a very loquacious character, but you got a lot out of him uh, on theathletic.com, I should say. But yeah. there was a lovely quote in there. You said, uh, and then before you know it, you're an old fart on the sofa yelling at the television that things were better in your day. What was better, <laughs> Alan, in your day? Um, well, certainly the pitches weren't better. But then again, I listened to old friends of mine who used to say that 10 years before me as well when they mm. played in the 70s and and the 80s. So I don't think that ever changes. I, it, I, I'm hoping that's a natural thing and that happens to everyone. It's just not not me that uh, that says that. But what was better, I mean, we, we weren't so much in the spotlight. We could go out, we could go and have a pint or two or three without 
everyone telling the world. You could walk down the, the high street or the town without uh, without too much hassle. There was no social media, of course. But from then to now, I mean, the, the, where do we start with the changes? I mean, the, you mentioned beer. In my head, 1992, it was all beer, chips and 442. Is that a fair reading of... of- um, is it fair? Uh, there was a lot of... No, we had to be professional at times. We chose our time. There was a right time to do that. I mean, um, we we used to have a we used to go for a few pints on a Sunday, more Sundays at, uh, at Newcastle, so long as there was no midweek game. I don't see any harm in uh, in that. The manager, the coaches, sort of understood that. And Monday wasn't a very physical day. Um, we used to stop on the way home in my early days at uh, at Newcastle because uh, when we, we I mean we travelled everywhere on the team bus, which I think is a good thing. Perhaps not then because we used to sit for hours on end. I mean Newcastle, wherever you go from Newcastle is a long way. So to travel on the bus to Southampton or London, you're on that bus on a Friday for six or seven hours. But that's where you sort of got your your bit of your team spirit from. Um, but on the way home from games. If it had gone well for us, we used to put our order in two or three hours beforehand to go to go and stop at the Weatherby Whaler and have fish and chips or sausage and chips or whatever whatever that may be. So, um, but again, that was at the right time to do that. A good times so. though. In tactical terms, the back pass rule changed at the same time that the Premier League came in, and that had a huge impact. But in tactical terms, is it is it fair that even in the early years of the Premier League, you wouldn't especially Think about what the opposition teams were doing tactically. It was, it was more about doing your own things. Is that is that fair? Not necessarily. One of the best coaches I ever had was Ray Harford. Bless him. He's no longer with us now. He was my coach with England under twenty ones. He was fantastic. He was my coach with um, Kenny Daglish at Blackburn. Who's one one of the reasons why I went to uh, to Blackburn because he was he was such a great coach. But he always used to work on the opposition. Yes, we had our game plan. And our game plan at Blackburn, every game, bar none, in my four years that I was there, we always used to turn the opposition. Within the first 10 or 15 minutes, Ray and Kenny used to say, turn the opposition, get them running towards their own goal. We Mm -hmm. can squeeze up, then we can do our play. But yeah, I mean, Kenny and in particular, Ray, were were really involved in the op- in the in the opposition and what they wanted to do and how to stop them. Um, so that I wouldn't say that's necessarily right. Perhaps a little bit more than back in those days uh, in the current Premier League. Though, if we were to if we were to do a time travel, Alan, take a fresh faced, curly haired Alan Shearer from then and yeah. stick him down in the Premier League today, how do you think he'd get on? What what would be the biggest challenge that he would find? I would I would get on fine. I would still score 35 or 40 goals. And maybe I should score more because of the sports science, because of the nutrition, because of the psychology, because of the training pitches, because of everything we know, because they, they tell you when you're going to get injured now because of the, the heart rate monitors and everything else, because of the technology has moved on so much. Um, and again, I hope, <laughs> I hope I'm not sounding like the old far again, but... When we didn't have any of that back in the in the early nineties, did we? So, I would hope that I would score and perhaps might even score more. Is there anything you think you might find difficult about modern football? But being in the spotlight, you mentioned. But in terms of the actual game, um, 
well, I would, I would find VAR frustrating. Right. Uh, but that's no different to everyone else. It's here, it's here to stay. We have to accept it. Um, it is getting better. There's no doubt about that. The understanding is, I think, getting better. Um, I mean, I hated running. I hated running in pre-season. I used to spoil the last week of my holidays in pre-season, knowing that I had to go back a week later and start running, but only because I wasn't any good at it. I mean, I remember, I remember signing for, for Newcastle in 96 and one of my first or second day of pre-season, I used to, Kevin Keegan came to me and said, is that it? Is that what, is that what, is that all you've got in running? I used to, used to say to him, just get the balls out. I'm a lot better when the balls come out. It's fine. Um, and he used to set me off when we used to go on these long distance runs. He used to set me off three or four minutes before everyone else because he knew everyone was going to, was going to catch me. But um, yeah, I hated, I hated the running, but once the balls came out, I was all right. You did all right all the same, yeah. It, on our time travel trip, if we were to do a, like a, a, a temporal transfer swap deal and take, say, Erling Haaland back from now to 1992, what do you think would most blow his mind? Probably the pitches, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I said, the guys in the 70s and 80s would have would have said exactly the same. I mean, the, the guys I don't think in 10 years' time will be saying that because the pitches now and the finance now and everything else now is is immaculate. I mean... There are no real excuses anymore, is there? There's never any bobbles and you can't blame anyone when you miss an open goal from four yards out and a bobble that came across. What what would he find difficult? Um, I'm, I'm always one for thinking the great players now or the great players then would be great players now and the great players now would be also great players back in the 70s or the 80s because if you've got that talent, if you've got that feeling, that that energy, that, that technique, which obviously... Harry has, Erling mm. has, Mo Salah has. They would have been, they would have been great players then. George Best, Brian Robson, uh, Roy Keane, all the great players from from back of the years. They they would be they would be still great players now. I've no doubt about that because you find a way. Your talent finds a way how to to handle and deal with things. And I guess Holland as well is quite a timeless example of a centre forward as well. So he would. Well, he is. He's like he is like the mm. the, the, the traditional. Big centre forward. I mean, he's what he is. I mean, I, I was mm. amazed at the size of him. I've obviously mm. seen him play many times, but I'd never sort of stood next to him in person. And he's a giant. I mean, he's six foot four, five, whatever. He's a good four or five inches bigger than than myself. Um, but having said that, that doesn't take anything away from his pace because he's quick off the mark. The timing of his runs are superb. When and how and where to run, you can tell, comes natural to him. So because of his size, it's, that doesn't affect him at all. Mm, scary. All right. Well, we're talking a little bit about the evolution of the game in, in, in the 30 years of, of Premier League. Uh, and one thing that I think people often think has developed and moved on is, is managing to people like Pep Guardiola and yeah. Jurgen Klopp, Antonio Conte. Do you want to show some love for some of the great managers, some of the guys that you've had, of course, back in the day, like Kenny Dalglish, Bobby Robson, Keegan and yeah. Hullet, perhaps. Yeah, uh, well, all right. That's yeah, I mean, I had, a difficult, I had a difficult relationship with Rude Hullet in Newcastle. Funny mm. enough, I'm great with him now. <laughs> I always say to him, if you had been the person now and you had been that one in Newcastle's manager, you might still be there and winning things. But I was really fortunate to work with some, some great managers at club level and at international level. And, you know, when I first started off as a 17-year-old kid, I had Chris Nichol. Mm. And he was he was hard as they come in terms of 
coming down on you um, and being ruthless and, and at times horrible. Like, and I, and I, I used to think, why are, you, why, why are you saying that to me? Why are you being nasty that to me? But I, I look back and think it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me at that age because I had to learn and he had to sort of whip me into, into shape. And then I go on to have the great Kenny Daglish. I mean, Kenny had won the league at Blackburn as player-manager, um, so he was as experienced as they come. So for me, as an up-and-coming forward, to go and work for three years with Kenny as a manager, I mean, that, that for, for time-wise for me, was perfect. I mean, he used to give me little tips here and there and his, his man management. He didn't do a lot of the coaching. He left all that to, to Ray Harford. But his management side of things, because everyone, when he spoke, he listened just because of who and what he was. He had great respect from from everyone. Um, I didn't have a lot of time to work with Kevin Keegan because he was only there for six months when I signed right. in 96. Of course, he was then an England manager for a small amount of time. Terry Venables was was an unbelievable coach for us. I mean, I mean, I probably owe Terry my England career because he could have easily tossed me to one side before Euro 96 when I hadn't scored for two years. Mm. Two years. Can you imagine, can you imagine now an England centre-forward not scoring for England for two years. I was still scoring for Blackburn, yep. but I hadn't scored for my country for two years leading up to Euro 96. And then, of course, Sir Bobby Robson, I mean, he sort of saved my career in Newcastle because it's well documented what happened with uh, with Rude Hullet. We didn't like each other. and We didn't get on. One of us, it was inevitable. That was one of us was going to have to leave the football club and he rolled the dice um, when he left me out and big Duncan Ferguson out against Sunderland. Mm. We lost and then he was gone the next day. And then Sir Bobby Robson came in, who, how do I put it? He was an absolute genius at man management. Whether you were an 18-year-old kid coming into the game or whether you were a 35-year-old experienced player who had seen it all, he knew how to get the best out of you. He knew how to feel, make you feel special. He knew what made you tick. And that's what was so special about him and just his attitude towards life and football. It was his life. It was his passion. It was first in the training ground, last out. I mean, I was I always took the kids to school, so I was always in the training ground at 8.30, first in, but he was always there before me. Um, and for someone of that age to keep on going and going and going like he did and have the respect of the uh, of the dressing room like he did. Um, yeah, he was, he was, Bobby was, so Bobby was a genius. Yeah. You also mentioned uh, the the influence that Kenny Douglas had had on you. Was there one thing in particular? Is there one lesson that he, as a incredible natural goal scorer, was you know, able you know to what he used to he used to? I don't. I still to this day, because whenever I ask him, whenever I see him, <laughs> I still to this day I don't know whether he was actually taking the mick or it was the truth. He he took me to one side in training one day, and he said to me just a little bit of advice. He said. Um, have a look at the shadows of the defender rather than, because I always used to like a feel, you know, I used to like a feel the defender. With your elbows, him, yeah. Need to sort of control the defender by grabbing hold of his shirt. I could mm. sort of pull him where I wanted to drag him and then I could turn him one way and go go the other. But Kenny said to me, instead of just try it, he said, um, have a look at the shadow. And I looked at him, I said, are you are you taking the out of me? Are you, is this for real? I said, what happens if it's not something? Yeah, and he just sort of looked at me and laughed. And I still, to this day, I don't know whether it was it was actually 
uh, he was trying to help me or take the mick out of me or, or what. And I always remember that. And whenever I ask him now, he just looks at me and laughs. Um, but yeah, for him, I mean, his, his finishing, his, I mean, he was one of the greats, wasn't he? Which is why he's so yeah. the greatest that Liverpool have ever seen. And when you when you look at the, the number of players that have been through that club, for him to be at the top of that list tells you how great he was. So, and he, he he just had an aura about him, you know. When he walked, when, when he walked into, we didn't have any superstars in our dressing room at Blackburn. The only superstar we had was Kenny Daglish, and he was the manager. But you would never ever have thought that because he did everything that we did. Uh, he wanted to be part of that dressing room. But when he he wanted to be a best mate, and he was everyone's. But when he walked into the dressing room, you could see everyone sort of their shoulders went back because of it was the great Kenny Daglish. In terms of the Premier League, Alan, you are the greatest goal scorer. Two goals against Palace in that opening game, and then another 258 afterwards. 30 seasons fully. 10% of them have you as top scorer. Do you miss scoring Premier League goals? Oh, do I miss it? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I just I miss that. That's the one thing that you miss. Where, you know, when you retire, where do you mm. get the buzz from? Because since I was 10, I scored goals since I was 17 when I made my debut and scored a hat-trick on my debut. Mm. Um, you, you never, ever, whatever you do in your life, you never, ever get that feeling back again. And and that's that's the one thing that you miss. I don't miss the running. I don't miss everything that goes with it. I had my time and I loved it. Um, but if I could just go back and have that feeling once more, I would, I would pay a lot of money for that. Wow. Alan, what have you tried, if I can ask, uh, to to do to get a buzz from? Well, I've 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 been one of the lucky ones because, I mean, you, you see sometimes a lot of players get into trouble when they finish mm. football, and I, I sort of get that and understand that because I think a lot a lot a lot of players go chasing the drug, they go chasing that hit, that buzz, that yeah. that that you get, whether that's making a crunch and tackle, whether that's walking out in front of 80,000 or whether it's winning the game or scoring a goal. I think there's so many players go chasing that drug. It's not there. Whatever you do, it's not there. But I've got a small bit of that by doing live television. Hmm. So I, I sort of left uh, left one dressing room uh, in terms of the football, but then went into another one. Uh, when I went into it in 2006, it was... Alan Hansen, obviously Gary, Lee Dixon and, and others. Um, so I, you get a small sense of that little bit of, you know, the way it gets your pulse race and it gets your heart going because you're about to do a little bit of uh, a little bit of live tele- television, but it's nowhere near. I mean, I went into the management only for eight games back, I think it's 2009, um, and that's a damn sight harder than playing football, believe me, but... Um, yeah, you, whatever whatever you do after you finish playing, you never get that high of, of scoring a goal back ever. All right. If I can quote you again, it's from another of your athletic pieces. As an old centre-forward, this is when you were talking to Wayne Rooney, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I looked at all those chances, those balls into the danger area and drooled. Post-2006, since you've been doing TV and, and, and now writing, who or what has made you drool the most in the Premier League? Um... <sighs> I, I, because I, I always tend to watch, for obvious reasons, I always tend to watch these centre-forwards. I mean, I loved Aguero. I loved Rooney's... 
I mean, because Rooney, Rooney, Rooney would have been the best player, whether he was a right back, centre midfielder or centre forward, which is why he was able to, to play in every position. I loved his attitude. Uh, I loved Thierry Henry. I mean, Thierry was, he was more graceful than I was, the way he sort of covered the ground, got across the ground with his, uh, with his pace and some of the goals that, uh, that he scores. Um, Harry now, I'm a huge fan of Harry's because he does it, Slightly different. Harry's had to do it the hard way because Harry had to go out on loan. Um, nothing's been on a plate for Harry. He's had to work extremely hard, um, and he's he's worked at it, and he deserves to be where he is. and And as I said earlier, I know that he wants desperately wants that Premier League goal scoring record, so he's going to go go all out for it. So I would say Aguero, Rooney, Henri, uh, and and Harry, without a doubt. It's a handsome list. Who is the best goal scorer of the Premier League era not called Alan Shearer then for you? One name. Well, who's second? Wayne Rooney. Okay. He's England's, he's England's greatest goal scorer as well. Might not be for much longer. Okay. Alan, you see football all around the world. What makes the Premier League different at the end of the day? We, you're allowed to tackle. You are allowed to be committed. You're allowed to be passionate. And when you put all that together and... You see the world's best players in the world's best stadiums with the world's best managers and the atmosphere. And it, the Premier League is something different. We know that there's a lot of games. We know that they, they, it sometimes it's cramped up, but I think in a way that makes and adds to the excitement. Um, and with the standard of football that we we now have, I think in terms of who we have here. And we've had it for quite a while, and it, it sort of backs my fact up that Erling's coming to the to the Premier League now. Is we do have the best players, and, and that's why it's the best in the world. Are the best pundits as well? <laughs> Some might argue with that. The Athletic.